0: you have your Bibles, turn to uh, John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 3 to 39. There's a couple of verses that we've taken out, and we're going to deal with those actually in in future weeks. But this is John chapter 4, verses 3 to 39. Folks, um, listen, this is God's word. Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, I who speak to you am he. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Hmm. This is God's word. So we are talking today about freedom and human trafficking. This is a huge issue today. The numbers are astounding, right? 27 million people enslaved. Susan talked about us being the eighth highest um, city in terms of child prostitution. Um, And at Harbor, we focus our support on Generate Hope, right? We want people who are suffering in the sex trafficking industry to be set free. Um, Beyond statistics, though, there are stories, Okay, the statistics are astounding, but what's really, what hits me are the stories behind the statistics, the stories of women who grow up and end up being susceptible to the lies of pimps because of a destroyed sense of self. Um, One woman said this, she said, as I was growing up, when I hit my teenage years, my father left us physically, and then slowly he left us emotionally emotionally. I lost my security, my sense of self, my balance. I lost the foundation that should have held me through childhood, guided me through adolescence, and taken me into adulthood. I really don't know how to sum this explosion in my life up, how to make sense of it, or how to explain the confusion that clouded my young mind. I mean, This is the confusion uh, that makes so many women feel dependent on their pimp or their trafficker. They're confused. And the tragedy is, I mean, this is what's awful, is that most, they can't see past their affection for their trafficker. They can't see past. They're either, they're either affectionate toward their trafficker or they're just afraid. And all the while, they're being used and abused. Um, I mean, this is the reality. Sex trafficking, it assaults humanity. Okay? It assaults the dignity of the women it enslaves and that it ensnares more of the lives of the Johns who go to them for sex. It assaults the loving and caring world that God made. Right? And it builds something in its place that breeds death, misery, addiction, and abuse. That's what it does. And God doesn't stand by and watch it all happen. God cares, and he came to rescue people from this. In our passage, verses 3 and 4, it says, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And look at verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. If you have a pen, circle the word had in your bulletin. Just circle it there. He had to pass through Samaria. He had to. Why? Because there was a woman that he had to meet. This was a divine appointment. Jesus had to pass through Samaria in order to meet this woman because he wanted to set her free. And as we look at this encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well, we're we're also going to get a chance to encounter Jesus. You are going to have an opportunity to encounter Jesus today. And you're also going to see, we're also going to learn how we can talk to other people about him. We're going to see this in four points this morning. The, the, the points are there written in your bulletin. We need to change the second one. We're going to see first, barriers. Second, we're going to see more. So if you can change bigger to more. Um, third, heart. And then fourth, one. Barriers, more, heart, and one. These are the things that are going to walk us through this conversation that Jesus has uh, with this woman. Let's look first at the barriers. Jesus, this is verses 7 through 9, really. Jesus is sitting at this well resting, and the woman comes, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Jesus was initiating a conversation with her. but more than a conversation, he was initiating a relationship. And this was bold and unusual because for Jesus, it was crossing over some significant barriers. Okay, there was a religious cultural barrier that gets mentioned there in verse 9. Jesus was Jewish, right? And this woman was a Samaritan. The two had no dealings with each other. If you want to chase down with the history of this, you can look in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 24 to 31, way back, way back, 700 years before Jesus was born. In 722 BC, Samaria had been populated by religiously impure non-Jews. Okay? And these Samaritans sort of chucked so much, or they augmented and changed um, so much of what Judaism was for them. They had a different version of the Hebrew Bible they had a different place to worship, right, on Mount Gerizim, rather than in Jerusalem. Um, it was so bad that strict Jews during Jesus' day wouldn't even walk into Samaria, okay? Samaria is like, I mean, if you think about California, um, Jerusalem is down in San Diego. Um, Galilee, where Jesus spent a lot of his time, northern, uh, northern Israel was kind of like San Francisco area. You know, Samaria was smack dab in the middle, okay? Samaria was kind of like Fresno. You've got to drive through it. And um, so here's what would happen. Most strict Jews, they would not walk the straight path through Samaria. What they would do is they would go uh, east, and they would cross out of Israel. So it would almost be like saying, I'm not going to drive through Fresno. I'm going to drive all the way east to go into Nevada, and then go north you know, until I pass Fresno, and then come back in. A ridiculous detour. It takes a lot longer. And they walked. Okay? So most Jews... Most strict Jews wouldn't even walk through Samaria because they would be stained and become religiously impure, okay? And so but G- uh, and so, th- this was one of the barriers that existed between Jews and Samaritans. It was also a gender barrier, okay? Back then, most Jewish men would not talk to a woman who was not their wife in public, okay? Just one of the things that, that the Jews, um, that was just part of their practice. And then there was a moral barrier, um, you don't necessarily get this until later, but there's a hint of it in verse 6 um, where John tells us that it was about the sixth hour. Okay, The sixth hour may- means that it was noon. It was high noon. Okay, The day started at 6 in the morning back then. For them, when they counted time, this was high noon. Most women back then would come for water first thing in the morning. Okay, It was cooler then, easier to carry these giant water jugs, You know, they'd fill them up, then carry them back. It was a lot cooler then, and also that was when you needed water for the day. Okay, so you go in the morning, you get your water for the day, you bring it back um, so that you can provide it for your family. And so everybody was there early in the morning, but this woman waited until the time when no one would come. Okay, she she came at noon, at high noon. We know, we we learn why later, but the point is that we're seeing here is that this woman, There are issues that, I mean, this woman's been ostracized from her community. She doesn't want to show her face when the other women show up to get water in the morning. And so you see this other, there's like a moral barrier that exists between this woman and the other folks in the city. The point of all this is that Jesus doesn't care about the barriers. Okay, that's the message you need to hear, is that Jesus doesn't care uh, about your religion, he just wants to meet you, okay? Jesus doesn't care about oppressive, um, uh, you know, oppressive uh, rules about women. He, he just wants to meet you. Jesus doesn't care about morality in the sense that he, he just wants to meet you. He doesn't care who you are, what you've been, or what you've done. Jesus reaches through all these barriers. He reaches through these things so that he can meet you. I mean, we're all sitting in a church right now. What are the barriers that Jesus has had to reach through to bring you here to this place today? I mean, isn't it true that Jesus continues to reach through barriers? His desire is to meet you. And so he'll reach through the religious barriers, the social or gender barriers. Jesus doesn't abide by those things. He just wants he has to meet you. That's why he's here today. And so this woman, she got it. She understood that Jesus was crossing over these boundaries. That's why she responded the way she did. Jesus' request was an act that made her realize that he was different. Okay? Jesus did something that struck her as so different that she wanted to engage him. Right, What are the things that we need to be doing that would stand out as so different that people might want to know more? And that's our second point. We see barriers. Jesus presses through the barriers. Second, we're going to see more. This is verses 10 to 15. In, ver- in these verses, Jesus takes the conversation deeper. Um, have you ever known somebody who, when you talk to them, you always kind of felt like they were saying something at one level, but down below they might have meant a lot more you know what i'm talking about i mean this whole conversation smacks of that right jesus asks for a drink and then she responds about drinking water and then jesus starts saying stuff to her that kind of makes her realize you know what there's something more going on here you know, there's a couple places here where you're kind of thinking like are we still talking about water like, what exactly are we talking about here, Jesus? What, you know, <clears throat> that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, look, I'm thirsty, but the reason I've come, the reason I had to come is because there is a deeper thirst that plagues everybody. I'm asking you for water, but there is something more that can be going on here if you are willing to discuss it. That's Jesus's approach. And the woman shows interest, but she's also kind of a challenge. You know, sir, you got nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Right? So she's interested here. You know, he's stepping, you know, he's put it out there. She's responding. But she also kind of challenges him in verse 12. You're making a statement that could be interpreted as something more significant. What are you making yourself out to be? Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, he was the one who gave us this well and drank from it. Are you greater than him? And then Jesus responds by being a little bit clearer in verses 13 and 14. Jesus was always in his ministry, always comparing the physical with the spiritual in his conversations with people. Um, And he says, look, my water will quench your thirst forever. The water that I give will quench your thirst forever. And it'll do that because it will become a spring within you so that you will have your own source of water from within you, from within you. And he says this in a way where the woman, she's in, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. I'm in. Okay, I'm good. I'm I'm convinced I, I want it. Please give me this water. And you can tell she still isn't quite sure exactly what Jesus is saying, but she's kind of hedging her bets. So she throws in, so that I won't be thirsty, I have to come here to draw water. Right, If you can do this, I'm in. Give it to me, please. And what I think is interesting here is that Jesus explains the gift of God, a relationship with him so compellingly that she wants it. Right, It's not like a bait and switch, I don't think, but I think what Jesus is saying is he's learned how to present the blessings of knowing God in a way that she wants. In a way that she wants. And there, I think... There's a lesson for us in how we should talk to others about Jesus. You know, our lives should be reaching through the barriers, just like Jesus did. Right? We should be reaching through the barriers to connect with people and to welcome them into our lives. Right? We talked about that last week. But then we also should live and speak with people so that they would know that there's more to life. Right? And we need to think of ways to talk with people to let them know that there are bigger issues, there are some significant things in life that maybe you're not attuned to. And so, for example, it would be like saying things like, you know, I'm not pushing this on you, but I would love you to know that my faith has helped me to see more meaning in my life. You know, or, look, I'm not pushing this on you, but reading the Bible has really helped me to have a different perspective on this aspect of my life. You know, in the friendships and the relationship that you have, those kinds of stories go a long way, right? Just to let people know that there is something more. And if they're interested, they can ask, right? You're not pushing it on them. You're not being obnoxious. You're simply saying, I've got an experience that I think you could benefit from. You know, as I've experienced this, my sense is that you also could experience this too if you're interested, Right? It's just as simple as that. And so the woman's still, again, not exactly sure what Jesus is talking about, but he's said enough to make her want it. Jesus says there's more to life, and she wants in. And this brings us then to our third point, the point of heart. Because then she asks, and Jesus responds in verses 16 to 19. Jesus responds by going to the very heart of her life. Okay? Jesus goes to the very core of of what her life had become. Verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come here. verse 17, she responds with, I think some understandable evasiveness, right? Um, uh, I actually don't have a husband. But Jesus doesn't let her off the hook. Verses 17 and 18, you're right when you've said I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Whoa. What's Jesus doing here? Isn't he being kind of harsh? Why didn't he just say, well, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. Right? Isn't this... Actually, why people run away from religion? Because it comes across as so harsh and judgmental? I would say there's never an excuse for being harsh and judgmental. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what's happening here is that Jesus is getting to the heart of this woman's life. Okay, Jesus wasn't just running through the Ten Commandments in his head and then he picked the one that would make her feel the most guilty. Okay, that, that's not what he was doing. Religion can do that to us sometimes, right? Make us feel awful and less than and, 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 and all that. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is different from religion. What Jesus is doing here with this woman, it's actually an expression of love. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let me try to convince you. What Jesus is doing here is he is addressing the main area of her life that is keeping her from experiencing a relationship with God. Okay? If she wants to return to a relationship with God, if she wants to come back and experience this gift of God, this relationship with him, this is an area of her life that is going to prevent her from experiencing God. Okay? The issue here, it's not simply adultery or sex outside of marriage. These are sins that are on the surface. But again, Jesus wants to deal with the heart of this woman's life that is causing her pain. Okay? Remember, it's the sixth hour. This is a woman who has been alienated from the community. This is a woman who cannot show her face in the community. This is a woman who has to wait six hours longer to get her water so that she can avoid the shame and the ridicule of her community. And at the core of that is this woman's, this woman's need for men in her life to provide security, acceptance, identity, and self-worth. That's what this woman is looking for. She has had five husbands and now is with someone who's not her husband. So she's on at least man number six. And what Jesus knows, Jesus knows that this has become the foundation of her life. This is the foundation upon which the rest of her life is built. Everything for this woman is being built on the need for the men in her life to provide things that they cannot provide. And it's not working for her. It's not working for her. Jesus knows that God is the only one who can provide these things that she's longing for. God is the only one who can meet her needs. Jesus knows that God wants to build something unbelievably beautiful with the rest of her life. God wants to take her ashes and give her beauty. God wants to take her brokenness and give her his healing. That's what salvation means. That's what redemption means. But in order to build that life of beauty and meaning and healthy relationships, a new foundation has to be laid. A new foundation has to be laid. The old one needs to be taken away, okay, because the old foundation in her life The old, the way that she relates, the way that she looks to men in her life cannot support what God wants to build. It cannot support what she's really looking for, and so it has to be removed. This is why Jesus goes to the heart of her life and wants to address it. I mean, just a couple of ways to think about this. You think about the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition, right? The Extreme Home Makeover Show. What if they came in and left the sorry, disgusting, dilapidated old house and just built everything else around it on top? Right? Oh, it's going to be amazing. We're going to build you this great house. And what do you want? What do you want? Okay, no problem. And they just start building on the roof of the old house. Right? How long is that going to last? It's stupid. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's impossible. Same way for us. Same way for this woman. She cannot receive the abundant life that Jesus wants her to live and continue to live in the way that she's been living. And so Jesus is addressing it not to be mean, not to be judgmental, but to let her know that if she really wants to experience living water, if she wants to experience a life with God, This needs to go away. Have you ever been, um, let's think here, have you ever needed to dress really nicely for something, like a a meeting or a party, um, and you worked out way too close to the time that you needed to get to this place, and so you didn't have time to shower? You ever tried to put a suit on or a formal dress um, when you were disgustingly sweaty? How does that feel? Jesus needs to get to the heart of this woman's life so that she doesn't have that experience for the rest of her life. Jesus, I mean, what's amazing here is that as Jesus brings this stuff up, like, I hope you see the wisdom here. I hope you actually can see the love here. Don't forget that this is the same Jesus that's offering her living water, right? He's offering her eternal life. And this is all in the context of that conversation. Okay, again, it just helps you to see that Jesus isn't here being harsh, okay? Jesus wants to sort of cut off this area of her life. It's a sewage pipe right, that continues to pour sewage into her heart, into her mind, into her life. And Jesus is saying, we need to cut that off. We got to cut it off. We have to cut it off. Jesus says, look, we need to address this so that you can be set free from it. So for you, what's, in, what's at the foundation right now of your life? If you're not a Christian, what else, what is there that while Jesus is leaning on this woman about her situation with the men in her life, what are you hearing him say to you? If you're a Christian, you've got that foundation laid where Jesus is the foundation of your life, but maybe there's an area or two of your life that's not, that's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of of Jesus' abundant life. Right now, Jesus is trying to address that in you. Right now, as you sit here, Jesus wants to address that area with you so that he can point it out, so that you can begin to deal with it. And the question really for us is, will you give that up so that you can enjoy a relationship with God? This is what the Bible means when it talks about repentance. You're giving something up. You're turning from something so that you can have Jesus. I love the woman's reaction in verse 19. Sir, uh, I perceive that you are a prophet. Can you imagine? I just came here for some water. (laughs) Wasn't asking for this. I mean, what else could she say, really? She's just been rocked to the core of her being. She's reeling. What else could she say? What else do you say when you feel the push of Jesus in your life? Well, she recovers pretty quickly. Um, The next section, verses 20 to 26, I just called one. One, we'll see why here in a second. Um, The woman puts into practice the art of distraction. Okay? It's the art of distraction. She comes up with the standard religious question to try to get Jesus sidetracked into an argument that no doubt she's familiar with so that she can have time to process this. Okay? Okay. verse 20, she basically says, "Um, you're a prophet. Where should I go to church? Should I go to Harbor Presbyterian in Jerusalem or Harbor Presbyterian in Mount Gerizim? Right? I mean, that's basically what she's asking. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. This is the standard religious argument that... Samarian, you know, Samaritans and Jews have, okay? And so she just sort of goes there and decides to throw that out. Maybe it's because she just needs to think and she's not ready. She doesn't know what else to say. Maybe she's honestly trying to avoid Jesus again and she's still kind of holding him at arm's length. Um, for whatever reason, Jesus' response to her drives home one thing, okay? The, there is that, that one thing that is the only thing that's important, Okay, she brings this up, but Jesus stayed focused. He says, look, there is really only one thing that's important, and that one thing is Jesus. Okay, she asks her question, and Jesus responds basically by saying, you know what, that's actually not the point. Issue isn't worship here, worship there. That's not the point. It's not where you worship, but it's who and how you worship. Verses 23 and 24. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvations from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is telling the woman that there is something amazing happening right now. God is breaking down the barriers between people. There was a time where only the Jews were right. And Jesus is saying, you know what? God is doing something new where he is breaking down these barriers because God has come not just to save one nation, but to save all the nations of the world. And his big question is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And then the woman, bless her heart, verse 25, she throws out another, just one more distraction. Well, I know Messiah is supposed to come any time now. And when he comes, he's going to explain all this to us. Jesus says in verse 26, yeah, that Messiah person, that's me. It's me. It's me. And, and I love what it says here. Jesus says, I, the one who's speaking to you, right? I who speak to you, am he. It's almost like what he's doing is he's saying, look, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I mean, it's really interesting because there are some places like this is one of the few places where Jesus just says point blank, I am the Christ. The Christ is the one who is anointed by God to bring salvation to the world. He is the savior of the world. And we see there's other places where the Christ <clears throat> is actually God in the flesh. So Jesus says, Look, I'm the one. But I love the way he says it because he says, I, the one who's speaking to you, am he. It's like he's reminding her that this whole thing began with me reaching out to you in a conversation. And so instead of being freaked out that, oh my goodness, you're talking to the Messiah just realize that the Messiah has come to talk with you. God has come to save the world. And this God who came to save the world wants to talk to you and is talking to you. And that is just amazing. I remember um, back when I was exploring Jesus, I remember setting up a meeting with a pastor um, and I had all kinds of questions that I wanted to ask him. I wanted to ask him about evolution and science. I wanted to ask him, how can you trust the Bible? I remember I had, I had this list of questions that I was ready to ask. And I remember sitting with him. I still remember exactly where we were. I remember exactly... I can see his face so clearly. And I remember sitting down and, and, and starting this conversation and getting ready to just unload my list of questions that were going to blow holes in everything that, you know, I'd heard him say, every, you know, everything that I'd heard Christian people talk about. And um, and he said to me, so have you given your life to Jesus? And I I said, well, what are you talking about? (laughs) I I didn't know that was part of the deal. What are you talking about giving your life to Jesus? Uh, I said, well, like I've prayed to ask him to help me live my life. And, And he said, you know what? Christianity is you giving your life to Jesus. And at that moment, I thought, wait a minute. Like, I haven't done that. Surely I haven't done that. In fact, that sounds crazy talk. Like, that sounds like letting go of the steering wheel in the car, right, while you're driving. That's kind of how, it, that's, that's how that sounded to me. And I, and I said, no, I, I haven't done that. Um, and I said, that seems kind of crazy. What, what, what exactly does that mean? Like, how do you, I don't even know how to process. What does that look like? And, um, and he began to tell me something about abundant life. He said, let me explain to you abundant life. And he said, in my life, I was a skier, a snow skier. And he said, "I was really, really good." He was on this trajectory to be able to compete in some pretty significant at some pretty significant levels in terms of snow skiing. And he said, um, "I sustained an injury. I got hurt and I couldn't ski again." And I wrestled with that a lot. I was really frustrated. I was mad. Um, I was angry with God. Um, and as I sort of expressed my anger. And as I walked in relationship with God, expressing my frustration about what had happened, he said, what has happened since then is that God has put me on a different path, one that I wouldn't have chosen, one that I didn't choose, one that I just never would have dreamed was in my future. God put me on this path. And what he has done for me is he has given me a life that is so different and so much better than any life that I could have achieved on my own. He said, that's abundant life. And he said, you know, you can choose to try to control your life. You can try to run your life. You can drive your car, whatever, you know, illustration you want to use. And he said, but you also have an opportunity with Jesus to let him be in control. And he said, I have never, ever regretted that decision and what was interesting to me was i was i was riveted i thought well boy that sounds that sounds like a pretty good deal you know clearly this is working for him um, uh, he, th- this sounds compelling to me you know and it was funny because all the questions that i had in my mind none of them came up i didn't even think about them until a lot later i was like oh yeah i had all those questions you know um And it's interesting because there's nothing wrong with questions, okay? There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Questions are important. Never stop asking questions. But the key is don't let your questions stop you from dealing with Jesus because that's kind of what happens. We can hide behind the questions, and until this, that, or the other get answered, you know, we're not going to make a decision about Jesus. Um, This woman got the abundant life idea. Like she realized that Jesus was offering her affirmation, that Jesus was offering her self-worth. Jesus was offering her an opportunity to make something amazing out of her life. She got it and she took it. Like she received the gift that Jesus offered. How about you? How about you? Are you ready to receive it? Be ready to receive the gift of Jesus. It doesn't quite say how to do that in this passage, but there's a little hint about how it actually works. Why is it that God can offer you eternal life? Um, It's it's sort of tucked in and hidden in verse 28. Okay, the woman left her water jar and went away. It's kind of neat, right? Because she came for water. But she ran off with no desire again, you know, no desire for water. She got living water that was now springing up in her heart, right? And she goes and is used by God to change the town. Like this woman who was ostracized, alienated, shunned, shamed, (laughs) becomes the one who was sent by God to save this town. Like That is just amazing. Talk about beauty for ashes, right? Talk about healing for brokenness. This is a picture of this. Her thirst is met. And what we see here in a very, very subtle way, okay? It's a very subtle, subtle thing here. But what we do also notice is that Jesus' thirst is not quenched. Jesus never gets a drink. Now, again, I think this is very subtle, but we're also only in chapter four of John's gospel. I think what John is doing is he's telling the story in a way that helps to give us a brief glimpse, a foreshadowing of what is to come. Because Jesus came and put his needs aside so that her need could be met. Jesus goes thirsty so that she might be filled with new life from God. This is a subtle picture of what is to come for Jesus, because he is going to set aside his needs, he is going to set aside his desires, and he's going to go to the cross, where he is going to confess again, I'm thirsty. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. And his thirst wasn't quenched. His thirst wasn't quenched because God was putting on him the parchedness of your souls and mine. The emptiness of your life and mine. The moldy, crumbling, can't satisfy foundations of our lives were put on Jesus on the cross so that we might receive the benefits of his new resurrected life. These are things that make us want to trust him, to make it easy to trust Jesus. If you come to him, you can receive his life simply by acknowledging your sin. You can acknowledge the the foundation that your life is being built on now. Confess it to him. He will forgive it, and then he will give you his new life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is so rich and amazing. The way that you would minister to this woman's need, it reminds us of the way that women's needs are being met and generate hope. And beyond that, it's reminding us of how you can meet our needs today. Thank you for promising abundant life, Lord, as Lord, I just, I pray that you would touch um, folks that are here that aren't Christians and you would show them that you can be trusted. Would you show them, Lord, in the way that your spirit can, that they are here today because you had to meet them. And Lord, prompt them to respond by just saying, Jesus, I'm sorry I have lived my life apart from you. Forgive me. And welcome me back. Help all of us, Lord. Help all of us in our lives to reach through barriers. To be able to live in a way that shows that there is something more to life. Give us wisdom so that we can get to the heart of matters in our lives, in the lives of our friends. And Lord, help us to keep you as the main thing, that one thing that is more important than anything else. Lord, help us. Help us to share this amazing experience with others, to be your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece as we share this amazing news with the folks in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.